Do you, do you have some secrets of UFOs or something that the you know the powers that be don't want you to talk <laughs> to about? Right? <laughs> yeah, I turned the corner and giant tree. I was like, oh, hello, tree. I've actually done everything in my life that I've ever wanted to and more. Like, my life has just been so crazy with all these experiences. And I said, so, and then it didn't happen. So I was like, yay, time for more cool life. So, and then I always talk about the roadblocks instead of talking about the ways they can do it. I don't, I don't know that word. There's no such word as can't in the Marine Corps Dictionary. See the world on someone else's dime. I love it. We never felt like we were poor. You know, arm her up and hold the line. Strange country, strange Cuban man, come back myself at night. Absolutely, let's do it. Is she like a Soviet spy or something? Because they had a blot in her East German. Walk the edge of the dumpster like it was a tightrope and then hurl myself up on the roof because to me that was safer than the ladder. That sounds fun. Let me go join the circus. Never tell anybody they can't do what they want to do or what they set out to do. Growing up, dot, dot, dot. The podcast of extraordinary conversations with ordinary people. So what's that dot, dot, dot about? It could be growing up Borinkin. It could be growing up podcasting. It could even be growing up in Charm City, wherever that is. It's also about bringing back the conversations we used to have around the water cooler or the coffee pot. Man, am I dating myself on those references. How about this one? You used to go down to the pub, grab a beer, watch some sports, and before long you were on a first-name basis with that stranger next to you. That's the kind of conversations we want to get back to. We don't care about your politics, your religion, your sexuality. Heck, we probably don't even care about the sports team you root for, unless it's not mine. Just kidding. What we do care about is what motivates you, what brings you joy, and who influenced you. Let's talk about the events and experiences on those crazy trips around the sun that have made you who you are today. With that said, the conversation begins now. And indeed, the conversation begins now. This is Teddy. I'm not loud. I'm just enthusiastic. And with me is always the beautiful Bad Betty. Hello. And on the phone with us is just Christine. Some of you, Hello. Yeah, some of you might know her from the Porter Strong campaign. Maybe we'll hit upon that later on. So how are you doing on this lovely early morning breakfast edition? Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday. I am doing fantastic. It is a beautiful day outside. Sunshine, it's a nice temperature. Everything's great. <laughs> yes, it is. It's like... Yesterday we were out in the outside and the weather cooperated the most the, of the day. Most of the day till the the last stage it got pretty hot. All of a sudden it was like, okay, we're we're done. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty muggy day, and then of course last night where I'm at there were some intense storms. Oh, they were just the lightning was just unbelievable. Yeah, we lucked out. I know we got rain, but. I think we, I heard like thunder once or twice, but maybe I was just sound Seriously? asleep. Seriously, you were sound asleep then because it, it woke me up and I, it was a good hour or so that it was really booming, like rattling the windows booming. <laughs> well, I guess some of us can sleep there, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, I think I woke up like around 3, 3.30 and I saw your message with the, uh, and that's when I was like, Dang, this woman must know something about UFOs or something, because the powers that be just try like, no, thou shalt not. Yeah, I turned the corner and giant tree. I was like, oh, hello, tree. <clears throat> no way around it. No way I was going to move it. So, yeah, I had to backtrack all the way out through the woods. I was in the forest at that point. 
So I had to backtrack through the woods and get myself out a different direction. But backtracking is like, you know, it's not easy in there. It's just all forest roads. So you've got to go back a good 45 minutes to an hour to get to a different road to take you where you want to go. So you're in the northwestern tier of the state? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's beautiful country up there. Oh, it is gorgeous. I I say I can't believe I live here. You know, of course I say that everywhere I go. Every time I move, I go, I can't believe I live here. This is great. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's part of what um, over the years. Just yeah, I, I wanted you on the show because you are truly an inspiration to me. I want you to know that. I mean, just you're huh? you're one of those people that you can look at where you're at in your situation and and. Yeah, granted, you've had some insane obstacles, which I'm sure we'll get to, thrown in your way. But overall, the joy of life, and that's that's something that I try to that's something I try to emphasize a lot. And I know Bad Betty's uh, on board with that. Of, of listen, yeah, sometimes life will just absolutely grind you, but you also got to look at that. Like you said, when you look outside, and it's a beautiful day. I mean, we've got a we got a little bit of paradise here. We watching the birds at the bird feeders and trying to track all the different ones and all kinds of other wildlife coming through. And, you know, that's just a blessing. And it's like, you know, some days you come home from work and it's like, and then, you know, all of a sudden this new bird comes over to bird feeder and we're both like little kids, like, Hey, we haven't seen that one before. So I always love it when somebody uh, can talk about where they live and with such joy. Yeah, I mean, that's the way it should be, you know, just finding the joy in those little things. You know, sometimes we get just so wrapped up in all that hustle and bustle of life, right? And just you don't stop to see those things that are around us, that we just take them for granted, I guess, you know? Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I guess, you know, years behind the lens in photography, I, I see so much from a, a visual perspective. And then now uh, getting back into audio after a, uh, several decades of being around away from it it's, it's it's a different thing like when we edit these podcasts it's ironic because even though i'm here in this conversation there's a lot of things i don't recall afterwards right until i play it back and like oh yeah that really was as as good as i thought it was uh, it's, it's a subconscious <laughs> process yeah, yeah. That's the newest venture for me, photography now, because i got to try all the things, you know. <laughs> so the art gallery here is having a photo contest for the forest that I was stuck in yesterday. Um, it's the 150th anniversary of the forest, oh, wow. and so they're doing a contest for anybody who can draw or paint or do all those things or, or take pictures, and I am not a photographer by any means. I don't claim to be one, but, you know, I took some nice pictures over the winter. There was a snow that fell, and it was just that perfect snow that just sits on all the trees and just makes these lovely layers, and it was just sparkly, almost like diamonds. It was beautiful, and I took my dog out for the day and just took some random pictures, and a couple of them came out. Well, I thought were really nice. Maybe they won't think so, but I was like, I'm going to send these in, right? So we'll see what happens. So uh, the entry deadline was a couple weeks ago, so I should hear in the next couple of weeks whether or not they accept my my little photo entry. So, <laughs> Well, that'll be cool. Yeah, I think that that's just cool because, yeah, I think a lot of people, like, they wait, they wait, they wait, and they're, oh, well, I got to do this, I got to do that. You know, um, Bad Betty and I are, 
into some new ventures this year, predominantly, and, and last year, because it's like, yeah, why not? You know, somebody said, you should do a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like the <laughs> challenge coin in front of me, like, oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How hard can it be? Yeah, uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. I, I, we love doing this, love being able to talk to different people. Um, but the production and, you know, I'm learning a whole new editing. It's all done through software now, which is really cool. So we can have really nice conversations and without worrying about the technical as much until edit time. And when you hear the same track about the 20th time over, you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the production is, you know, trying to get guest you know we have somebody like you who wants to come on but the powers that be you know the universe keeps blocking <laughs> yeah we got other people. against us <laughs> yeah and we got other people we've been trying to get on they're like oh let me listen to the podcast and we look at the analytics like well you're clearly not listening to the podcast it's kind of hard right it it's a difficult sale especially when neither one of us are really sales people or contrary to popular belief the people who know me think I'm outgoing. I'm, it's it's very focused group that I'm outgoing with. And for this, it's it's constant sales. It's like week in and week out. Got to pitch it. Got to got to promote the show. Got to go out there and keep asking people who, if they haven't said no, then that means it's just waiting for a yes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's part of the motivation between behind the whole. Teddy, bad Betty thing is, you know, like kind of take on a different persona a little bit and have to do that sales portion of it and be like, hey, come on the podcast and do all of that. End of it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's definitely not I how I usually am. Yeah, I can't imagine having to step out of your comfort zone that way and trying to, to put yourself out there like that. Yeah. So it's good. I admire that. You're saying I'm an inspiration. I think you're an inspiration in that way, too. You know, just trying to, to reach out of your comfort zone and try something different and new. I think it's great. Yeah, it's something, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into it again on one of our solo uh, bonus episodes. But um, a story of when I hit the big five zero and put on a... Uh, birthday a reverse birthday party where we had the guests come out thanking you know friends and family and that's when i first kind of realized i've done a lot of things i always say i haven't done anything but then people are like but you've done this and you've done that you know i, I kind of list a bunch of things i've done in life it, just not even thinking about it to me they're not they're just cool things i've done in life yeah well it was funny when i uh was diagnosed with the cancer and, I, and when it was really bad and i thought okay you know this, this is really 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 bad you know and the doctors were like yeah just pray uh, <laughs> um you know i said to my mom i said i'm actually okay with this like it was a really weird serene feeling i said and it's because i've actually done everything in my life that i've ever wanted to and more like my life has just been so crazy with all these experiences and i said so how many people can say that in their life that they've they've accomplished everything they've ever wanted to so i said really you know if this is my time if this is really what's going to happen that's okay because i've had a really cool life and then it didn't happen. So I was like, yay, time for more cool life. So let's do some more cool things. So getting a little more outrageous. So, you know, taking balloon rides. And next week I'm taking my nephew and we're going ziplining in the wilds. I guess they have a, 
a 10 zip line tour um, oh of the of the grounds. It's, it sounds amazing. Like you just like zip line over the exhibits, I guess. I don't know. So I'm, I'm excited to see this. And I was like, who would go with me? Because I want to experience this with someone. Usually when I do stuff, it's solo. I was like, I need to experience this with someone. And so my nephew, his 16th birthday is this week. And we never really spend time one-on-one. It's usually like with his dad, who's my nephew. So he's really my great nephew. Um, So it's usually his dad and him and me. Like as a threesome, we do stuff together. But this time it's just going to be me and him and it's going to be a blast. I'm so excited. Yeah, that sounds like it will be fun. Yeah, yeah. Ziplining is is crazy. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah, I've never done it. I've never, so I'm, I'm excited to try it again. You know, just... Try something new, just something I haven't done before. Yeah, I think I did the, what's that old section of Vegas? Oh, uh, yeah, that, uh, I forget what it's called, it's a street name, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it like Fremont or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that? Fremont. Or, yeah, Fremont, yeah, we, we did uh, a couple of years ago, my buddy and I, who uh, I'm trying to get him to come on the podcast too, and I just got a, another one of playing, you know, phone pong here but yeah we did that he just convinced me because he's the only guy who could do that you know uh, (laughs) you know he's the same guy that every time we cross an international border we we run into interesting things (laughs) so it's like so this time we're we were in vegas and we did that because he knows that i have this thing about heights where it's like the heights okay it's there and i'm not i'm good it's it's a it's not tall tall heights it's this intermediate range that i have a difficulty with and uh but same thing I agree. A lot of people are waiting for the perfect moment in life to do something. And, uh, you know, again, I actually have a family member who, again, she's finally doing something pretty awesome in her life. And she's done awesome things before and and not really registered that she's doing it. Because often she'll say that, like, I don't know how you do these things. I just go and do it. It's like. Yeah, exactly. Am I terrified of it? Probably, if I really had to think mm-hmm. about it. But again, this this is the life we're given. We're supposed to be living it. And whether your idea of living is, you know, raising some kids in a nice, quiet community or, you know, just going out weekend and week out. Uh, I got a, you know, racing cars or or swimming shark infested waters or whatever. It's like, go for it. I, I think it's kind of sad that the more interconnected the world is today but it seems like more people are unwilling to take any actual risk. And I find that very bizarre. Well, it's funny because people always say to me, how do you find these experiences? How do you always find these cool things to do? And I'm like, because I don't say no, Um, because I say yes. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of people see something and they either say, oh, that's not for me, or, oh, I can't do that because of X, Y, Z. And I always talk about the roadblocks instead of talking about the ways they can do it. Um, in fact, um, when I was at my library in Vermont, when I left there and had my final board meeting, I gave a speech. I always gave a speech every year at their annual board meeting. And so the theme for my annual board meeting that year was just say yes. Um, and just saying, you know, just find a way to, to do things, you know, don't ever say no. Or, or if you're looking at the no, if there is a definite no, think, how can I work around that? Okay, this isn't possible, but what is possible? 
and make it work. And I think that's just kind of what I do. I see something and I think it's cool. And I think, all right, how can I make that happen? How can I make that work? Instead of saying, oh, I can't do that because I have this in the way. Well, how can I resolve that? How can I change that? How can I fix it? Sorry, she's just, she, she, we're so fascinated by the story. We're like, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. Followed up <laughs> I'm just like zoning out. And he looks yeah. over at me. I'm like, I'm like, ah. hello. No. I mean, I'm very, I'm, I've been that way my whole life. And I always kind of laugh because my dad was a, a Marine and he had, uh, he always said when I was growing up and, and even when he, when he passed away, my nephews were pretty young at the time. And uh, even they knew the same, the saying that I grew up with, which was, if you said can't, he would be like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And I was like, I can't, you know, like whatever it was about, riding horses at the time or something like that. And he goes, I don't, I don't know that word. There's no such word as can't in the Marine Corps Dictionary. And it's like, but being raised with that mentality totally changes your outlook of things. It's like, well, you yes. find a way to have it, you know, that just not, that's not a, a thing, you know, like you can't just, there's so many people nowadays that are just like, I can't do that. It's like, well, why not? <laughs> Right, exactly. I mean, there are legitimate roadblocks, too. You know, things that you do, whether physically or mentally, you know, or financially even, you know. But of course. Oh, it, absolutely. People make it work, you know. There's still people out there that, that find a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to travel, so what did I do? I found a job that incorporated travel, you know what I mean? I could have never afforded to go to all the places I got to go to if I had to pay for it all, so... All right, let's just go get a job where there's some travel involved. All right, we got that. And then, you know, get to see the world on someone else's dime. I love it. It's great. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I guess, you know, growing up, you know, in a large family, I just got to the point later in life where I just started telling my dad, well, I'm going to go out and do this. I'm going to go hiking. I'm going I'm doing a, a three-day camping trip with my buddies. And that kind of... That attitude got me through life and got me in trouble a lot of times, but not with my dad, ironically, who kind of, I wouldn't say he gave up on me. It was more like that's what he was expecting. That's how he grew up. You just got to a certain age and you just go and you do your things. You respect your parents, but you go and do, and, you know, just don't get caught doing anything stupid. Uh, yes. So well, when I, I left home and went into service at a young age, um, you know, half my service record is because... I just didn't know that you're supposed to follow these rules regardless. So I just would do things and then get in trouble for it. It's like, which is ironic that years later, reading um, Richard Marcinko's book, uh, Rogue Warrior, and he's from, you know, up north here in Pennsylvania. And that's where I learned that whole concept that I was already doing, which is, you know, you just go and do it, you know, ask, you know, it, it, it's a unitor unless otherwise directed. So you just go and yeah. do things until somebody tells you you can't do it. And then even when yeah. they tell you you can't, okay, is this a regulatory thing or is this you, you're just telling me I don't have the ability to do it because guess what? I just did. Maybe not well. Right. But I did. So it's funny because I have a couple stories like that. So like my parents were were different on that respect. So my dad was very much sounding like your dad. Um, and I remember when I first went to college and he went to see the college I chose and he started walking around and he was like, you don't belong here. This isn't for people like us. And I'm like, why not? Why isn't this? Why can't I, I have every right to be here as you? Cause 
you know, we were from Kensington in Philly. So if you know Kensington, you know, that's not a great place to be. Um, back then it wasn't bad, but even still it wasn't great. Now it's just yeah, awful. Yeah, I spent almost a decade working down the city, so I'm very familiar. Kensington is definitely one of those neighborhoods when we get an assignment. My boss would have to brief us because he's a lifelong resident of the city. And he's like, yeah. Oh. When you go there, so, you know, go people like street. us don't go to these ritzy schools, right? We don't go to these, to, to, we don't go to school at all, really, you know? We just, it just doesn't happen. Um, so that was my dad. My mom, on the other hand, she herself was told as a high schooler that she couldn't follow her dreams. She wanted to be a nurse, and her mom told her she had to go to business school. Um, and she did, and she went all the way up until six months before graduation and then dropped out. Like, as a, like, all right, mom, you wanted me to do this while well, I'm not finishing it. So, you know, so she always supported any dream I had because I think she was stifled in her dream. So she was like, yep, go ahead and do it. Um, and for me, I think the first time I actually really challenged somebody was in high school. So my high school music teacher actually told when I was a senior and I said, I want to go to school for music. She actually wrote on all of my, um, what do you call them, references, because you had to get college references from your high school teachers, right? She wrote on all of my references, she'll never make it in music. Like, don't accept her, she'll never make it. Oh my gosh. Jeez, and I was like, really? Yeah, really? <laughs> there was one school where she wrote it was okay, um, and she was a nun, and it was the Catholic school, and she told them, you know, oh, yeah, she's great, go, go, you know, accept her here, I think she's really wanted me to go to that school, uh, but, um, yeah, she wrote on all of my stuff that I would never make it in music, and I was just like, all right, you know what, I'm gonna show you, and when I got my first tour, Guess who the first postcard I sent was? I sent her a postcard, and I was like, hey, just letting you know. you know. I'm in Montana now training for, you know, national tour. But, yeah, no, I'll never make it, but thanks. <laughs> Which maybe wasn't the best thing to do, but I couldn't help but just say to her, you know what? I did it. You didn't believe in me, and I proved you wrong because, yeah, you should never tell anybody they can't do what they want to do or what they set out to do. Especially as a teacher, you're supposed to be helping boost people and, you know, like bring them to a higher level, you know, and it's just crazy. Yes. You're like, no, you, you're never going to do that. Like, I visited a school once and I was doing a show at the school and I always asked for helpers from usually like sixth graders because um, they were old enough to be able to, to help. And so I asked for four helpers, and the first one came. And it's always like when that first one's there and you're waiting for the others, it's kind of awkward because you don't know them and they don't know you. You know, it's like this awkward weirdness. And so I used to kind of do like little tricks to to make that, that a little bit easier, right, so they didn't feel so nervous or out of place. And so this one kid came up to the stage, and we're waiting for his friends. And uh, I had my yo-yo, and I used to spell the word yo. I used to make the Y out of the string, and then the yo-yo itself would be the O. And so I, I just started to joke I was going to do this trick. And so I looked at him, and I said, hey, are you good at spelling? You know, and I was going to do this trick, and it was going to laugh, and it was going to be great. Well, instead, I said, hey, you know, are you good at spelling? And he looked at me dead serious and said, no. I'm not. And in fact, my teacher tells me that every single day. I'm the worst one in the class and I'm holding everybody back. <laughs> Jeez. That is and not, I was like, oh, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> like, like, why would a 
anybody tell you that? And so I spent the next 10 minutes telling him that, no, like, don't listen to that. You know, I'm really sorry your teacher said that to you. And you can do it. You probably need extra work than maybe some of the other kids in the class. But don't ever think you can't do this. I I was just mortified that somebody would say that to someone because then if you hear that enough, then you believe it, right? And then you don't live up to what potential you could possibly have. I was so angry and sad for that kid. And I often think of it, that was like 10 years ago. And I often wonder, you know, where he is now or what he did or if he ever, you know, overcame that. Because I think, I don't think, I'm trying to remember if that was a Kensington school or if it was, it was not a good area school, I remember. And I just often thought, you know, he's already got stuff stacked against him. And now let's tell him this, you know. So I often just wonder whatever happened to that kid. Oh. Yeah, because I think about I think about that. Like, uh, I was fortunate that in the school I was in, um, I had different types of teachers who eventually saw my inability to focus on things were just. And I was bored. I was just bored out of my skull. Like by the time mm-hmm. I got to high school, and they actually had the, the gifted and talented program, it, I was kind of almost a lost cause. But they didn't give up on me. And it was funny because despite my last two years in high school where I decided that, you know, I can get straight A's or I can get just barely passing and have more fun. So, you know, guess which channel I chose. (laughs) But despite that, I went to one one school and competed for a scholarship. And I got accepted to two other schools that I never even applied for. Turns out that that some of my teachers were trying to get me... And, you know, I won't, I, I don't have regrets in life, but one of the schools was a uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and they had already accepted me. I'm like, so I kind of have an idea of what teacher did that. And to this day, I carry that throughout life. Here's, we had some great teachers who taught a lot more than just what was on the agenda and actually cared about their students. So like when I work on social media and I see a lot of friends, I went to school, some of them tried really hard, some of them not so much, but a lot of them are in pretty good places in in life, whether it's financially or just spiritually or or just health-wise or raising families on their own and, and not like on drugs and stuff like that. Right. A lot of that had to do with the community and the teachers. The teachers let even our slackers, for lack of a better term, were still mostly treated pretty well. And and, Mm -hmm. I I do carry that forward uh, to this day that those teachers made a huge impact in my life and in the life of a lot of others. And then so when I. Oh, I believe that fully. That's just horrific. Like. You're an idiot. They're like, okay, I know kids mm-hmm. who, whose parents, uh, you know, I, I can think of uh, a brother and two brothers whose parents were absolutely abusive SOBs. Um, I, I talked, the last time I talked to one guy was like 10 years ago, but he seemed to, he was in a very good place in life. He managed to get successful enough where he got his brother out of that situation also. And apparently they're very well healed and very well raised and they don't talk to the parents anymore. Parents are gone now, but they stopped talking to them. They realize that was the price. So, again, I think part of it was the teachers that we had. The teachers knew that they were had that bad home situation. So they encouraged them to do after school activities and, and you know, hey, stay, we'll, 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 
we can give you some private tutoring here in the school. They wanted them to succeed so they would have a chance once they got out yes. of school. And I think that was the difference for us, too. I, I have that, too. A lot of my classmates, like, we really could have gone downhill, you know, in that area. And, you know, a lot of that I credit to my parents. Like, none of us three kids did drugs. And I think in that area, that's, that's a miracle in itself, you know. Um, just we had no desire. And that was partially because of our parents, but also because of our teachers. And our teachers really did a great job of looking after all of their students. And I remember... Um, especially like when we were older, you know, middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, when, you know, you can really be influenced by a lot of stuff. Um, they would let us just hang out. So I went to a Catholic school and, uh, they would let us hang out in the church after school and all of us music people, you know, and they were like, yeah, just hang out here. And, you know, the one kid would play his guitar and I didn't know how to play organ, really. I didn't know anything about music except that I would play by ear, you know, so I would play organ. I'm sure it probably sounded horrific, but who knows? Maybe it was okay. Um, and my friend Sue, she played on the organ a little bit, but they would let us, you know, and it wasn't like, oh, don't touch that because that's, you know, an instrument of great value. <laughs> they just let us kind of hang out because they knew that if we were there, we were safe. Um, we weren't out hanging out on the street and doing who knows what, you know, we, we were safe being there and, and we did, we had a great time. We, you know, we sang songs and we just hung out and just chatted and just, I don't know, we were just there. It was just, it was, I don't know how to explain it. It was just a really nice thing and they weren't there watching over us. Like they literally would just be like, yeah, go ahead. And I don't, maybe they were, and we didn't know it. I don't know, but we never saw them. They were never really there, you know, just to watching. I think today, like everyone hovers over everybody. It's like, well, we watch it. Make sure you're okay. Make sure you're not, you're not hurting yourself or hurting others or doing something. You know what I mean? It's oh, just, yeah. <laughs> A, like, oh, I don't ever remember seeing the adults from the time they unlocked the door. They were like, yep, have at it. You know, this is like a church with very valuable things, yeah. and, you know. <laughs> yeah, you... But if they didn't trust us, I think that would have been different, too. You know, you get what you give, I guess. So if you give trust, then you get that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that really clearly, but yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I agree because it, it's, um, it's ironic you said that because I just listened to, uh, I was re-listening to an episode of uh, Mike Ritland's uh, podcast, and in there he was talking to a, a guest that I had an opportunity to train with, and they brought up that thing like growing up pre-high technology, you need it to yeah. get home, for example. So on the same thing, your your parents, if you had the type of parents that trusted you to go out and do your own thing, I, I did. But you had a curfew. And yep. come hell or high water, you made curfew or there was a price to pay. There was no technology to bail you out. You couldn't, like, send a text and say, hey, I'm running late or can I stay out? There was – your technology right. was, in my case, you know, it was my feet. That's probably yes. the reason why I hate to run <laughs> to this day because it's like, run, Forrest, run. It's like, yeah, I got to run back home. <laughs> yeah, friends had their bikes. And it was just the same thing, though. Adults trusted. Adult trust is a huge, huge thing. Uh, you know, yeah, now. Yep, and when you broke that trust, you knew it. Like you said, there were consequences for that. Yeah. 
Well, and I think the other thing, and I hate to do the, uh, it was a different time than kind of a mentality, but yeah, the same token, you know, like we joke about, you know, Generation X was that kind of that last feral generation where, you know, you, you basically like, especially in the summer, you, you spent all day outside, you went and rode your bikes, you went to the pool or whatever. Yeah. Um, you went off into the woods and you were playing camp things or, you know, whatever, playing with, you know building a fort and all kinds of stuff and um, when you were little and then as you got older you know like I after school my mom was still at work so we maybe hang out at my house or something like that in high school you know like but they there was no choice but to trust us that will make right. the right decisions and so forth there was no you know cell phones or anything like that that they could just hover or cameras at home you know that kind of a thing where they could just be like well, what are they doing what are they doing what are they doing but at the same time like I think back it, I'm sure there were those situations. I mean, I remember them that, you know, there are bad people out there that will do things to kids. And like you see two girls, younger girls walking a mile from school to the mall, you know, that could be problematic. You know, nowadays right. you never see that. And, um, but it wasn't far from our, you know, from our high school and middle school. So a lot of times that's what we do is walk over to the mall and, and hang out there and get something to eat and so forth. But, uh, yeah, nowadays you just, you don't see that. And, you know, one of my favorite ones is like when you went out to the to the skating rink or something like that, and again, no cell phones, so you go to make a collect call off the payphone, and all it was was, we're ready to be picked up now, thank you. And I was just thinking about that. You know, you try to cram like, in a whole bunch of words into that, you know, say your name. You accept a collect call from, we're ready to come home, come pick us up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think about that now. I remember like, one time my sister, this is funny. So my sister, she's like six or seven years older than me, and she was out with her friends. And I don't know what happened or what, but, you know, we only used that collect call if it was like a dire emergency, right? You know, something really, really important. Well, I was young. I don't know how old I was, but I must have been, I don't know, I want to say six. I don't know. I was young. But I guess she tried this collect call, and I answered the phone. Oh, and I just heard her say, I guess she said something like, Mom, give you, give the phone to Mom. Make sure get, get Mom. Your Mom needs to get to the phone. Chris, you know? Or no, she, I remember now. It was just, just say yes. Chris, just say yes. I think she was trying to say, do you accept the charges? And I don't understand what this is. I'm a little kid, right? And my sister's going, just say yes. Just say yes. And I, I was, like, freaking out, so I hung up. <laughs> and then she called back again, and it was the same thing. Chris, say yes. Chris, say yes. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I'm just going to hang up the phone. I hung up on her Oh my God. <laughs> and then I think the third time my mom was like, what's going on? Why does the phone keep ringing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so then my mom got it and all was right with the world. But my poor sister <laughs> trying to call, she's got something going on. And here's her little sister going, well, I'm just going to hang up the phone. <laughs> yeah, that, oh man, I forgot about that. That's funny. <laughs> that, that's a classic. Yeah, Today's day is like, what? what what's a collect call? What? It's, you mean you can't just, yeah. Well, and, I even just saw the, a post from where I grew up, my hometown. They posted the old uh, phone tree for the lifeguards for the neighborhood pools. And it was so weird to see numbers, you know, and it didn't matter nowadays, but with no area codes. Oh, right, yeah. And it was like, or oh they had gosh. the numbers. Oh, gosh, now I'm going to date myself. But they had the numbers where it was the letters first. So my first my phone number was GA6 and then the last four. <laughs> yeah, something like, yeah, any of that. And nowadays they'd be like, what? What do you, wait, you have to dial one? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's part of what this you know that, that's why we kind of came up with this uh, podcast idea. It's a, it's about growing up and uh, the different yeah. experiences that people have, and you know sometimes we talk about things like that. It's interesting. We have a uh, with Just Jerrica who also grew up in the Philadelphia area. And uh, I know her from the the bartending world, and nowadays she lives in suburbia, and you know, is raising a kid, and this and that, and she's a riot. And it's just funny that, yeah, people who grow up. I mean, most of our guests we've had, yeah, they've all, you know, they've all grown up in different environments and different situations, and yet they made the best of it, and that's kind of what a lot of our messages is like, listen, it doesn't matter. I, I've got some future guests. I hope to get them on here, uh, you know, from the Bronx area. And it's like, yeah. And, you know, another hero of mine, he's, um, who's made an incredible life. And that's what it is. Like, again, you know, I, yeah. I'm so overjoyed that you came, that we finally got you on because like I, said, <laughs> I, I guess I gravitate toward people who look at life and, they're not a, a a they're not ashamed of where they grew up. I mean, I think that you know that's what I call fake people. Like they try to like make this story up that they grew up in this wonderful neighborhood. And it's like, dude, you you grew up in like a nasty city in a nasty place. You should be proud of the fact though that you've made something of yourself. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I again, I have to go back to my parents. And I'm I'm lucky. I had two great parents. You know, my mom was a stay at home mom. My dad went out and worked. You know, he was an HVAC mechanic. They never, and I was just talking about this with, a, with one of my classmates. You know, none of us. We never felt like we were poor, you know. And I don't know how bad it was, but, you know, me now being an adult and looking back, I'm like, gosh, that had to be incredibly hard. You know, like I remember my parents on my dad's Friday payday sitting in the living room rug and he would go cash his check and they'd have the check and they would sit on the floor with their envelopes and like divvy out the cash. Okay, this is for this bill. This is for this bill. This is going to be our food money. You know, and they would even toss us a couple bucks, you know, here's your $2, go to Burger King, have a blast, you know, like, cause they had a little arcade and we'd get our 50 cent sandwich and go play the arcade games. And that was our fun for the week, you know, but we never, I mean, we were poor. I mean, we're in Kensington. We're not in the greatest place, but I, I just can't. We never felt that way. We always had whatever we needed. And, yeah, we had hand-me-down clothes, but they made it seem like that was an amazing thing. Like, I looked forward to getting my neighbor Terry's clothes when she grew out. I'm like, oh, I'm getting more of Terry's clothes. Woo-hoo! Like, that was a good thing. It wasn't looked on as, oh, we can't afford to buy you something, so you have to wear Terry's clothes. No, it was, you know, it was a cool thing. You know, we didn't care. And it was, it's all attitude, right? Because if she would have said to me, oh, you know, well, I'd like to go to the mall and buy you something, but I can't, so we have to go to Carol's house and go get Terry's clothes, it's a whole different vibe, you know? So I just think that, yeah, attitude is everything as far as that. They never made us feel like we didn't have, you know? If we were having spaghetti three nights in a row, hey, you know what? We're having spaghetti again today. Isn't that cool? All right, great. Excellent. I love it. You know, rather than, well, we have to have spaghetti again, you know, the third night in a row. It's just, it's a different vibe. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's that's a huge societal change. I mean, culturally for me, 
that was normal. Like I, I didn't really realize that I was growing up in a different culture till I got outside of, you know, I grew up in a small town, um, mostly blue collar, very much mixed race. It was more separated by economics than it was anything else. But because the regional high school we had, you kind of blended together. So, you know, I'm not saying it was the perfect world. I mean, but I'd got out of that and found out that the rest of the world, like, well, you're just, you know, uh, you know you're drinking. You don't know this. You people don't know this. You people don't know that. And it's like, because, you know, we had that culture in our town and I wasn't treated different by anybody else in our town. And again, right. yeah, what you said, my parents, I, uh, when my father passed away and we looked at his, uh, I looked at his income stuff and it's like, how the hell did he raise a family with that little amount of money? And with both yeah. him and my mom working. Well, because we did a lot of horse trading, you know, worked on the farm. It's like, hey, I got spare kids. You got some extra food, <laughs> things like that. And you're right. They never, nobody ever told us that we were poor. Right. It's, it's that simple. Nobody ever came out and said, you're a poor guy. Or it's like, you know, there are certain items of clothing that I will never wear again in my life. But that was, <laughs> you know, because I got later in life, I like, God, I hate, you know, corduroy is one of them. I say corduroy. Yeah, I hate, hate corduroy. <laughs> oh, my gosh, corduroy. <laughs> yeah. The sound it made as you walked down the hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, I, you know, like I was a little bit on the opposite end because, you know, my parents growing up, they were from the city, didn't have a, a ton of money or anything like that. My dad started his business when he was very young and, you know, lived with his two aunts and 13 cousins uh, with his siblings, you know, growing up. So definitely a different world. And then when I was about 10, 11, we moved, you know, to a more suburban area more affluent area, but still, you know, I had that working class background for, you know, with my parents that, you know, that was the mentality. So to move into a more affluent area, I wouldn't say I, it was more apparent that we didn't have the money other people did, but you definitely no, noticed it, you know, like a lot of the other parents had college educations and so forth. That was not us. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, so everybody else, you know, they're talking about their kids are already talking about college in middle school, and I'm like, none of us have gone to college. I was the first one in my family, aside from my grandfather who did it on the GI Bill in night school. I was the first one wow, in my family yeah. to get a college degree. And so, you know, that was, so it was a, a definitely, you know, I still got along, had my friends, and they were fine, you know, like nobody ever, like, bragged on us. But, yeah, it was definitely in that kind of a environment, if you didn't have, certain clothes or certain, you know, especially in the 80s. Yep. You definitely stood out, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, so in my neighborhood, we were all kind of on the same playing field. There was nobody. I'm, well, with the exception of the one girl that lived in the mansion. <laughs> There's one mansion in Kensington. It's the funeral mansion. Oh. Um, and we used to love going to play at her house. <laughs> um, her mansion was right across the street from the school. And so we always thought she, she probably wasn't, but in our eyes, she was rich just because she lived in that giant house, you know, it's a funeral home. Well, it's that's, <laughs> really funny you should say that because we've, we've like gone into questions and done these kind of like rapid fire things. Um, Teddy and I have, uh, you know, like kind of brainstormed at times. And one of the questions is why is always the nicest house in the neighborhood or in a community, the funeral home? Yeah. <laughs> 
they're like these gorgeous old homes that are so well maintained. It's like, wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll do a, a shameless plug that if you listen to uh, the episode Emu Chris, you, you uh-huh. know, you'll, you'll find out about, yeah, she's not, she's not upper class. She only did equestrian and knows people who went to Olympic soccer and stuff like that. We, we well, do a riff on that in that. Because, episode. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, that that's the other part of it is even though, you know, the neighborhood I grew up in, even though it was like, per, like literally built as like the ideal suburbia was the idea behind the town. It was very economically diverse. There were, you know, lower income housing mixed in. So our high school was very diverse as far as economic. Um, and people got, you know, it wasn't a problem that people got along. Certain schools, definitely certain high schools were more affluent than the other ones and so forth. But, um, yeah, I mean, now, I don't I, think I ran into that until college. I think because high school they were all the same, but college is when I first noticed it. Yeah, I think it's you know depending on where you are, and you know this was between D.C. and Baltimore, so um, definitely an area where you you have a lot of, of variation of cultures and everything else that are coming together. But you know, and again, my dad, you know, it was not, wasn't like we were poor, but considering what other people had, you know, the kind of income they had when they worked for NSA or, you know, the government in general. Um, so a couple of my one friend was a rocket scientist at NASA. Her, her dad was. And so, you know, definitely a lot of differences. But, you know, I think my dad just all the anything that they made went towards us kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think college was the first. I really noticed that there were differences in, in people and income. And, you know, I just thought everybody was like us, you know, because everybody in my neighborhood was like us. So it wasn't until I went off to college and I was like, oh, there's people that live much differently. In fact, my one college roommate, um, she didn't know how to clean because, you know, she had people that did that. <laughs> and actually, she was excited about it. She was like, will you please teach me how to vacuum? I want to vacuum. We were like... <laughs> Yeah, have at it. And you know what? You You can do it all the time if you want to, but we're doing that for you. (laughs) Yeah, we never had to clean because she had so much fun. That is, that's, wow. That's hilarious. But that shows you the difference, you know, like she had no idea because she had maids and butlers and all of the, you know, she was super rich. She was beyond. So she didn't understand that. And so to her, that was great. That was so much fun. (laughs) But that's when I really realized, yeah, there are people that, and I think that's what led my, my dad to say that comment, like, you don't belong here, because there were people like that. And he noticed it right away, or I didn't really see that, you know, I just was like, oh, I'm going to school, it's, it's a big deal, you know, because I didn't realize that there were yeah. different levels. I just, I didn't know. I was very naive. I just thought everybody's like us. This is how everybody lives. Yeah, I mean, that's similar to, it's not that I didn't run into it sometimes with, uh, uh, you know, racism and stuff, uh, actual, but it wasn't until I went into the service that I discovered, it's like, well, you're Puerto Rican, you people do this and that, I'm like, uh, what are you talking about? The, the Puerto Ricans I grew up with are all hardworking families that, uh, you know, and, you know, I was taught we can cry and laugh at the same time and just enjoy life in general. And I was like, well, your people are this and that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So not everybody in the world sees the things the same way. I mean, I had some yeah. exposure to that visiting. I'm, I'm fortunate that even though I grew up in a rural area, I spent a lot of time in uh, the urban zone, in New York City, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, 
and over in Jersey City and uh, uh, I forgot the other the other Union City and those uh -huh. in the seventies those were yeah they're like they're like Kensington on a on a larger scale the neighborhoods yep. that we were going in were not the neighborhoods that uh, you know people remember fondly and you know I learned a whole different world view which I am actually grateful for my parents for having done that and for family that because by the time when I was an adult, like I said, I guess it wasn't so much a shock, but once I started meeting that people like will hate you just for your, your name. And then it's like, yeah, I would just throw in that New York attitude then like, well, yeah, that, that doesn't confront me. None as you know, George Thurgood would say, it's like, whatever. Yeah. And that helped me adapt. I mean, inside it was like, holy crap. But sure. externally, I was able to just channel my cousins and and just like and then it led later in life to a better understanding of of all my uncles and aunts and all that who had encouraged my father to move out into the rural area and just that face that they would put on when they're on the street that uh, later in life I now understood when certain people walked into into the bar, for example, where my my uncle ran and. You know why people's look would change. Um, some bad characters coming in, and they just had a role to play. Uh, the whole diaspora of the '50s taught them. Yeah, you know, there are some people in this world who will not like you because of where you came from, and yeah, you can either sink down to their level, or you can just you know armor up and hold the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. My uh, my ex husband when I had taken him to my neighborhood for the first time. It was for a wedding of my best friend. And we were going to the rehearsal and we took a bus and it was, the bus went through every bad neighborhood there was in Philly, you know, and he sat there as stone silent as you could be. You know, he grew up uh, Schenectady, New York, and then summered in Maine. So, you know, he had a much different upbringing than I did. And he just looked out the window and didn't say a word. It was like an hour bus ride. And I thought, oh, man, what is he thinking? Like, what's going on? You know, like, and he got out of the bus, and he looked at me, and I was like, all right, we're going to the rehearsal hall. And he's like, no, wait. And he just gave me this big hug, and I was like, what was that for? And he's like, because I had no idea. He was like, you – he's like, I have a totally different respect for you and a different – just a different view of you because he's like, I had no idea – this is how you lived. And I was like, he's like, I didn't know, like, anybody lived this way, you know? I'm like, yeah, this is, but to me, it wasn't anything, you know? It's just, but the racism piece, that's, that is, when I moved to central PA and I bought my house, I bought that house because of where I live partially. I was like, I, I have, I'm in a position to do this and I, I've always wanted a split level house. To me, a split level house meant you were rich and you got somewhere. And, and so I did. I bought my split-level house, you know, and that was my dream come true. But then I remember the day I moved in, the previous owners were there, and they were showing me a couple different things. And then they said to me, okay, you know, you live on the West Shore, and so you shop at this mall, and you go to this place, and if you ever have kids, they go to this school. You don't go to the East Shore. And I was Jeez. like, Why? He's like, because that's where them other people are. You don't go to the East Shore. So there's a mall there, and it's probably closer than the other mall, but you don't go there. I was like, really? People think that way? Like, I was just, I was so, I didn't even know what to say, because I was like, what are you, what is coming out of your mouth right now? Like, 
is that really like something people think? And then the more I got to know the area, I'm like, yeah, there's a definitive line between the East Shore and the West Shore. So what do I do? I get a job on the East Shore because you know what? No, no, yeah. it's not okay. Just, yeah. Yeah, there's a That's lot the of That's the one that. thing, like, I don't miss that area. When I left that house, like, I thought, oh, you know, I can't believe I'm leaving this house. And I'm like, you know what? No, it's okay. It's okay to leave. I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, and in some areas, I mean, I've been all over the country, and, and a lot of times it, it, it's purely uh, uh, accidental racism, another, yeah. another reference oh, yeah. to another song, oh, yeah. uh, because, like, uh, when I first met people from New England area, they would like, well, we've never seen anybody like you. I'm like, I'm yeah. really not dark skinned, I'm not light skinned, I, mean, I get a little yeah. darker in the sun, like, no, it, and you, or, and then... Uh, the only blacks we've ever seen are on TV, like the Jeffersons. Like seriously, you're 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 joking, right? It's like no, there's there's none up here, and so they would say some things, and you just look at them as, uh, and they'd be like, "Oh, I'm not supposed to say that." I was like, "No," so they weren't deliberately, and even like, and, and sometimes I got to talk to like some of their siblings or parents. It was. Just literally, that's how the country was. And if you lived in parts of the country where people just didn't travel and you didn't have the internet, you right. just didn't yeah. know. Uh, I get the same thing all the time with people like, oh, the South this, the South that. It's like, have you ever been there? Well, I see. Right. Have you ever? I mean, if your reference of the uh, South is gone with the wind and Dukes of Hazard, then you have no clue. I've right. actually had far more hostile here in the Northeast than I ever had down South. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't exist down there. Sure. Um, I, I went to uh, training with a guy who grew up in the center part of Mississippi, and he'd tell me some stories. You know, he's a, a big black dude, but he'd tell me, yeah, it's like, yeah, back home, eh, I forgot what part of Mississippi it was, not, not relevant. Um, he says, no, I, I couldn't be this person. I'm like, what? says, yeah, the things that you see on TV uh, uh, that you were talking about that isn't realistic, it still exists. And he opened up my eyes, and uh, we went around. Uh, I was down in southern Mississippi, and he took me to some uh, old tar paper sharks that still existed in the 80s and things like that. And again, fortunate that I had spent so much time in the urban zone, so it was just a rural version of what I had seen in urban zones. So I yeah. already had an idea that, yeah, we, we do live like that, that whether we're, whether you're Puerto Rican or black or Dominican or, or even poor or white. And I think that's where a lot of people up here in the Northeast forget. It's like, uh, there's also economic issues. And I've seen a lot of, you know, poor whites who live in, you know, absolute crap living conditions but mm -hmm. yet if you're watching tv and you believe uh, a lot of stuff th that doesn't happen unless you're in appalachia and like no uh right here in good old jersey new york pennsylvania region and right outside of some of the ritziest neighborhoods you've got people struggling from all uh, a huge brand and i think uh again i just can't thank the people in my life enough who without realizing it they showed me what the world could possibly be so that later in life when I did travel in the world, I have this thing. I don't like going just to tourist areas. I want to – yeah, I'm not going to go into the, the, you know, the stupid people who go into the most dangerous neighborhoods like in Jamaica and like, yeah, that's just – really? That's just stupid. But at the same time, if I can find locals, uh, mm -hmm. especially stateside when we're 
uh, one trip we did down to Louisiana, I just remember, you know, this hole in the wall bar where, you know, just say that light colored folks would never step into. And we did. And we had a good time because they realized, yeah. no, I, I, I really want to try your food. I want to try actual homemade food that you're offering. And, and I want to listen to blues music. That's what I'm here for, you know. And plus the fact yeah, you already one, outnumber yeah. us so that, you yeah. know, worst case, you could make us disappear in the swamp. And once I said <laughs> that, they just started cracking up and realizing, yeah, these are these are just some, I want to see America. And yeah. I got to see that. I always used to go to supermarkets wherever I would travel because that's where you really learn about a place. Go to their supermarket. <laughs> but uh, even in Cuba, when I went to Cuba, I remember um, – so that was through an educational exchange, um, a teacher exchange. We would go to their schools and, and we went to a hospital and different places just to see kind of how they lived, right? But but when you go on those kind of tours, they show you what they want you to see, right? And so we had one free day and uh, I remember, I can't remember the name of the town, but I remember walking down this street and there was this little local band playing um, and there was this really cool piano organ mixture instrument that I had never seen before. So I had stopped and was kind of looking at it. And the guy who was the drummer from the band came over and asked me how I was doing and, you know, what, what I was looking at. And I was telling him and he was like, hey, well, you know, I'm working here today and I'm playing for the day. But if you want, you know, come back tonight and I'll I'll kind of show you around. And I'm like, all right. Strange country, strange Cuban man, come back myself at night. Absolutely, let's do it. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, of, but I wasn't thinking, and I thought that could have ended really badly. But no, he was the Swedish gentleman. We still talk to this day. Um, he actually, we walked through this park, and he just kept like walking and walking, and I was like, where is he taking me? Like, okay, maybe this wasn't the best idea, and now I've just gotten myself in a whole lot of trouble. But he just took me to this back end of this park and then he was like all right now's your chance he's like anything you want to know about cuba i will tell you and i was like oh i don't even know what to ask i don't even know what to say right so that he kind of started the conversation and he was telling me about how he used to be a teacher and then he was playing music and he liked playing music because he was making good money doing that and he was able to support his mom and he was basically saying any day, you know, the government can take that away and decide I'm making too much money and make me go back to teaching and, and, and make me go to certain jobs and just the things he was saying. And it was just unbelievable. But again, I had to have trust in this person that I didn't know. And, you know, again, a different race and all of that. And everyone else on the outside looking in was like, what are you doing? You know, like, and you can even see people looking like at us as we're walking through the park, you know, here's this very white blonde girl walking with this Cuban man. Why are they together? What's going on? You know, so you have all of that in there. Um, or even in college, um, when I was first scouting out my colleges, one of my very good friends was at the college I ended up going to. Um, and he and his three friends took me around for the weekend, um, and they were all black males. So here's this very blonde, very white girl hanging out with the, the three black boys of the weekend, you know, and everyone's kind of like, hmm, why, why, what's what's happening there, you know? And more than once I was asked, hey, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, why? Like, I didn't get it then, you know, now I get it why they were asking, but I didn't then. I was just like, yeah, I'm good, you know, like what? And they were like, oh. 
hanging out with them. You know, it's, it's just a yeah, weird vibe. Yeah. So just real quick, and then Bad Betty's going to interject. Just want to let you know we're yeah. up on the hour mark. We can continue to talk. To the, uh, I mean, I love talking. Um, just, but, you know, we're always respectful of our guests' time, so we always give them the hour mark. Gotcha. Yeah, I can talk for a little bit if you want or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So Bad Good. Betty's got a something to say. Yeah, I just speaking to yep. that, because like I said, when um, living in Maryland, it was a very, where I went to high school was very diverse, um, very diverse area in general. And um, so we were kind of, our high school was kind of known for that. So even in Maryland, like some of the times with football games and so forth, the teams themselves, when we went out to rural areas, would hear some some pretty bad slurs. And, and even in the stands, like, we, we'd often hear slurs. Or if we went into inner-city Baltimore to pay, play um, a basketball game or something, some of the, the crowd could get into it, and you'd hear some of the slurs. But I remember the story. It was the early 80s, and the Student Government Association, from um, they did, like, some kind of a big meet-and-greet kind of, and they traveled down to North Carolina. And on the way back, um, they were, you know, traveling on, on buses, and on the way back, they stopped at a mall to get something to eat. And they're walking around the mall. And people are gawking at them and looking at them. And they're like, why are people looking at us? And they went to the food court and stuff. And, and all of a sudden, security started following them. And they finally, oh. they finally walked, you know, security guards finally walked up. And they're like, you need to leave. And they're like, excuse me? And they're like, white and black people don't walk around here together. Like, that's not a thing. And, and they were, like, horrified. I mean, it's the 80s, you know, and it's North Carolina. Right. It's like, what? And they're like, you're going you're gonna to start a fight. Like, they're going to, people are having a huge problem with this. And so they, they had to leave because they didn't want some kind of a big disturbance at this mall. Wow. You know, so that was kind of a big wake-up call for us. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's again, um, this is just an example of the kind of conversations we want to have on here. You know, we go from, you know, an incredible, your, your Cuban adventure, I love that. They're probably all thinking, like, is she like a Soviet spy or something? Cause, you know, <laughs> that, yeah, right? German. She did travel for her job. She yeah. didn't say what. Yeah, yeah, she never did <laughs> say one, what job. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, from that to, to, to serious subjects. And that's what we're, uh, that's what we're about, um, trying to have those conversations that you used to be willing to have uh, with, with uh, you know, somebody you knew or a stranger. So, I know. I'm just, right. I got to re, I got to repitch. Go ahead. No, I know. But uh, going back to the zip lining thing real quick, because <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier. So, he mentioned how he didn't, um, he did the zip lining in Vegas and he was hesitant and his buddy convinced him because he has a fear of heights and stuff, which is a weird thing because I have a fear of heights and yet zip lining and roller coasters, I can get on them and, and do okay. But yeah. I remember, I, it takes some convincing sometimes, but then once I do it, I'm like, oh, that was fun. But, and airplanes, I don't mind, but you get me on a ladder, and then I'm like in a panic mode. But uh, Ladders I mean, are scary. I, I could fly on a trapeze, with, you know, just yeah. flying through the air and hoping someone catches me and say, okay, good luck with your life. But ladders terrify me. Well, and as a kid, I, <laughs> fell, I fell off the ladder. Um, when I was learning to walk, and it was kind of a, it, a weird story, but I was learning to walk, and I, my mom was up on a ladder cleaning, and I climbed halfway up, and then I fell because she panicked, and then she jumped down and landed on my arm and broke it. So that's part of my fear of, fear of ladders, but in general, like, I can still, like, if I even see it so much as a video where somebody's, like, standing on a cliff edge or something, or the, one of those rickety bridge, you know, 
bridges, I'm like, I already, yeah. my heart starts, you know, racing and I'm like, nope. But anyway, so. <laughs> I'll digress for one quick second to tell you because this is hysterical. I'm so petrified of ladders that when my ex-husband and I fixed our roof, we did our own roof on our house. Oh, and I did not want to climb the ladder. So I would scale the dumpster, walk the edge of the dumpster like it was a tightrope, and then hurl myself up on the roof. Because to me, that was safer than the ladder. Okay. But okay. <laughs> anyway, you were saying. No, so um, a couple years ago, I was looking at a trip that went up to Niagara Falls. And I guess that's something you can do up there is zip line across the falls at night. Yes. Which would be really cool. And then I'm like, oh, oh I don't know. <laughs> That's definitely one of those zip lines that I'm like, hmm. (laughs) That's a a unique view, that's for sure. For sure. But I just, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, uh, you, something were to happen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a, that's a big plunge. (laughs) Hey, people tightrope across that too. That's true. Nick Glenda did that. I was like, oh, yeah. But they made him wear a harness and he was not happy about that because the harness actually makes it harder for you in some senses. It throws you off. Yeah. So you don't want to be harnessed, but they made him because it was going to be on TV. And I guess they thought, well, if you fall over, we don't want to show that on live TV. So we have to save you. But that actually made it more difficult for him. They're probably like, "Eh, if you fall, then our sponsor's not going to be happy. Yeah, exactly. That would be a bad day. It could be like the old (laughs) Evil Knievel when he wrecked on live TV. That wasn't a... So, uh, you know, so because people listening to this don't know your story, I would just point out, you know, you hit upon it. So we got, so you talked about walking a tightrope, which I know you've actually done literally. So you want to yes. talk a little bit about that. <laughs> um, so that started with a stint with Circus Smirkus. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s and I was like, oh, that sounds fun. Let me go join the circus. Um, I've always been fascinated by circus. I can remember as a kid just being mesmerized by it all, the animals. And I know that's a taboo subject, but um, I have very different feelings than than the majority of people. The animals are actually, in, in many circuses, are treated very well. There are some that do not, and they're terrible. But the ones that do, they treat them amazingly. And as an animal trainer, um, that was something to me. That's where I got my animal training skills was from originally my initial experiences with circuses and zoos and things like that. But uh, in 2016, I saw this this ad for Circus Mercus. Hey, come and be a part of the circus. Normally, it's it's a kid's circus, so they only have kid performers. And this was a three-week stint for just adults. And I was laying there like, no experience necessary. And I was like, that, I'm doing that. That is just going to be a blast. Um, And so I did. And we learned all different skills. You could try pretty much anything you wanted to. Um, And they had everything done very safely. Um, And so they had, you know, a tightrope that was, I think, maybe a foot off the ground, you know, really low. And, you know, they held your hands and they taught you how to place your feet and how to, how to do all those things. And so I tried that. 
I tried trapeze. I tried uh, unicycle. That did not go so well. <laughs> um, I also tried stilt walking and never really made it. I, I kind of, I put the stilts on and I stood up and I was like, nope, I'm good. Thanks. I'm just going to sit back down. Um, but I tried like rollabola and they taught you juggling and plate spinning and all those fun things. Um, and I just really fell in love with it. I was like, this is really, really fun. I'm having a really good time. Uh, and then the three weeks were over and I was like, all right, well, that was a blast. You know, we got to do a couple little shows and it was great. And then went back home. I was like, all right. And I made really cool friends that I still keep in touch with to this day. You just kind of bond when you're in that environment because you're literally putting your life into someone else's hands. So that kind of trust stays with you forever. And then after that, I saw a, I forget where I even saw it, but it was a little thing for the Van Lottestoff Family Circus run by who is now a very dear friend of mine, um, a buddy by the name of Ted Lawrence, who was a clown for Ringling Brothers, and he started his own circus. Um, and it comes every year, and it's in Vermont for like two to three weeks, and then he does one in New Hampshire for a couple weeks and whatnot. He also has like a quirky science show that he travels to schools. And I saw his circus, and I was like, that sounds fun. And, and I called him up, and I'm like, is this, like, just for kids, or is this a big person thing? Well, he's like, no, please come. Please come. Like, he, we, we had this amazing conversation. We hit it off right off the bat on the phone call. And I went out. And, again, it was a, hey, try all these things, but now you can kind of focus on the things you want. And so I tried some new things. I tried aerial silks, and I tried uh, Spanish web, which is the rope that you kind of swing on. And, and that was great fun. And, but I really gravitated towards the trapeze and towards the wire. And I must have walked wire during those two weeks, I think every day for about four hours a day, I was determined. I was like, I am going to nail this. I am going to get it down. And, you know, I would fall eight times and I would make it across once. And then that would give me the motivation. I'm like, all right, I would fall, fall 10 more times and then I'd make it across once. So I was like, all right, fall another 20 times and then I made it across twice. I was like, all right, here we go. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> Um, until finally I was consistently doing it. And then I got to move up to the four foot wire, which was a little terrifying. Um, it's this exact same wire as that one or two foot one, but when it's higher up, it's a lot scarier to fall, you know? And so, but they teach you, they teach you how to fall, um, so that you don't hurt yourself. If you know you're falling, you fall a certain way. And of course there's all kinds of mats and things to help you along the way. And so, uh, yeah, that became my thing for a while. I even bought my own wire. I had my own wire at home and was walking it at home and I had a blast. Um, so between that and trapeze, so their circus was static trapeze, meaning you do a bunch of poses and the trapeze never moves. Well, a bunch of my friends who were from the Smirkus got into the flying. And so I was like, well, I want to try that too. Like, that looks really fun, you know? And so I did. I went out where they were training and, and got to fly several times. And it was a blast. Um, yeah. And then what made it even more special was for Van Lottestoff Family Circus, because I had the animal training background, he wanted them to experience what it was like to have an animal on circus. So I got to bring my dog and I got to do an act with her. And I will tell you that was the most fun two weeks I ever had with my dog. I mean, I did agility and fly ball and obedience and all of those things, but nothing matched 
that circus experience, just getting up in the morning, packing my lunch, packing her lunch, and going off to the thing and, and practicing different routines. And she was so open to anything we tried to teach her. So we had all of the troopers make these pyramids out of their bodies and she would climb the pyramids. Uh, it was so cool. And then they actually, we had the troopers become the agility course. Oh, and so we had some of them just stand and be weave poles. We had some of them um, doing back bends and making a little tunnel for her. <laughs> Uh, and then we made that into a little comedic routine where like she would go and come out the middle and then she would go again and come out the middle. And then, then when she would make it, it would make a big applause because, Oh, she did it. You know, even though she knew exactly what she was doing the whole time, but we made it a whole thing. Um, we had one of the kids that was like on the ground. He was a little tiny kid and she would put her two paws up on his back and then spin around on him. And yeah, it was a great fun. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's, that's, Awesome. That's why I wanted is like, yeah, I can't just leave that open where you, you, you've casually mentioned, oh, and I've, I've walked a tight yeah. wire. People are like, wait, did, did she say something about a tight wire? It's like, yes, <laughs> yes, folks, you heard it right. Um, that's, yeah, this is just an example. You, you just got to sometimes say, I always wanted to do this and then go find a way. I mean, I got to go up to Alaska and while I still have to make it up there for an Iditarod, I, I got to go, as part of our trip, we went up to the CV camp up on the glacier, which was an amazing ride on a on this insanely small helicopter about, you know, size of a riding mower, and got to ride up on the glacier uh, being pulled around by a team that was in training. And, oh. and so it's just awesome. I mean, I, I love the Alaska stuff. You know, I've been down to the other end of the world, down to Antarctica. And it's like, you know, people are like, well, how do you do these things? Like opportunity, keeping your eyes and ears open. And, and you know, again, as you said, getting people to pay. <laughs> so the Antarctica, yes. <laughs> I was paid to go there versus Alaska. Uh, just fortunate that I have a family who's very, very good at, you know, wrangling out travel deals to where it was like it was be stupid not to go. And yeah. I'm coming up with that in, in uh, October. I'm actually uh, going to Africa, which is my other one oh, of my cool. lifelong dreams. And the way I get to go is I'm going to be helping a wildlife vet for two weeks. So I'm basically going to be her tech um, and like shave rhino horns and go in a helicopter and dart a giraffe so it can get whatever it needs done and go chase animals in the wild and i'm like really like that's that's a thing like i can do that okay sign me up you know so i'll get to see the african wilds in a way that nobody else will get to do and it's so cool yeah, that so is excited. that is cool i mean that's that's an example of you just you know for those listening if you haven't figured it out by now it's like life sometimes is you, you you pick your path and career changes to get you closer to being able to do the things you you want in life and, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to have to call this, this has got to be, this episode, uh, is going to be growing up dot, 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 Porter strong. I mean, you're just <laughs> the message that you keep sending out. I mean, we've had great guests. I love all our guests that we have. They all have different things to share. And this is what I'm talking about. That conversation that we have, because I've met some amazing people just by sitting down and starting to have a conversation, you don't know this person from, from anybody else. And all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, uh, I remember a local guy down at the bar, um, that was a, uh, F, uh, thunder chief, 
pilot. So in Vietnam, and that's what he remembers, you know, going in and, and saving troops by flying. It's like, you just see this guy, you know, he's got his motorcycle jacket and all that, but you wouldn't know that this guy once used to, you know, fly around in a, a jet at 800 miles an hour and, you know, screaming down low in the jungle and stuff like that. She just had an amazing story to tell. And it was really cool because at the end of that conversation, you could see that he was grateful somebody wanted to hear what he had to say. No judgment, yeah. no, no, no interruptions, just sitting there listening, buying him a beer. And, and that was, again, the impetus behind this was post COVID, you know, Bad Betty and I got this hang around on the porch and I found out that, you know, she, she fills in my cultural holes of uh, the nineties when I wasn't living in the country. And yeah. uh, we were down at the local pub and uh, the one bartender there says, you guys should start a podcast because we just strike up conversations with people who are there. It's just, which is kind of odd. Again, uh, I'm not really that outgoing, but I grew up in that environment. That's what my dad would do. Right, right. He would take us down to the local bar on a, on a Friday night. Yeah, I know people are like, well, they take you down to the local bar? Yeah, yeah. Grow up, uh, you know. Yep. The bartenders <laughs> knew us. Everybody there knew us. They, they weren't going to allow us to do anything stupid. But that was right. the world we grew up in, in a working class town. And that was, exactly. we were taught. You talk to somebody sitting next to you. It's okay to talk to them. If they've got a, mm-hmm. a chair or two separate from you, leave them alone. It means they don't want to be bugged. Unless it's somebody right. you know, in which case then you walk over, see if they need they do need to. And you know, that's that sustained me through various places I've lived in and just having that environment. But now uh, you know, I sit at home in comfort this morning sipping my coffee behind a microphone and having a good conversation. I love it. <laughs> so I don't know, Bad Betty, you got any other questions for her? I don't think so. I can't believe we've been talking as long as we have. <laughs> Time flies. This has been um, fun. I really no. appreciate you having me on. This oh, is really a blast. Yeah, this has been, it's been great. It's awesome to finally actually get to talk to you instead of just hearing about it through yeah. Teddy here. But, uh, I'm glad it finally made it work. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, and it, like I said, that, all the I, obstacles. Yeah, I was gonna say that's why when you sent me the message, I don't care. We're you're, you're coming on. We're we're gonna beat this uh, this conspiracy against you. Or we'll just at least get something down and uh, get you back on. But I do appreciate your your time today. Um, awesome, thank I, you. I, I just like I said, you're, there's there's a handful of people out there that I just I, I love seeing their stories. I love hearing about it because. I guess it also reaffirms, you know, uh, a lot of what I've been doing in in the last few years, which is like, I just gotta go do it. You know, there's things, uh, you know, like I said, now we're 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 shooting against some top notch people, and uh, why not? It's like we're out there. We're 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 not gonna we're not gonna become international champions. It's the same thing when you know she still competes a little. You know, she's still training to compete with her dogs. I just on the sideline photographing other people and. You know, that my time for that has passed, although who knows, might get a new dog next year and all of a sudden be back at that. But, right, um, who knows, yeah. But whatever you're doing, as long as you're having a good time doing it, that's what matters the most. Yeah, I mean, it's like this. We're we're committed to uh, to two seasons of, of doing this to give people an opportunity to come on and, and have that conversation. I don't view this part of it as work. I really don't. It's It's very nice sit down. You know, we used to do this on a Saturday night, 
use it actually as a way of decompressing, but early this morning is not bad either. I know we got at least two other guests who need to do it on a Sunday. But I do appreciate all of the time here. I'm going to hit the extra, and then we can talk a little bit more and make sure that we got everything secure here. So hold on. All right, you have been listening to Growing Up Dot Dot Dot, Extraordinary Conversations with Ordinary People. If you liked it, remember to leave us a five-star thumbs-up positive emoji on Spotify, Apple, or whatever platform you follow us on, and make sure you subscribe. Uh, We need to get the word out. And if you didn't enjoy it, hey, I'm sure you know somebody that you don't like, and you give them a five-star thumbs up and recommend us anyway. But seriously... Uh, we need to get the word out on this podcast. Uh, this is a labor of love, and we want to keep doing this. As always, thank you very much for your continued support. Uh, keep up those conversations. And this is Teddy. Dad, Betty. And thank you very much. And till next time on Growing Up. Dot dot dot.